Right now is literally the best time to start an e-commerce business, and here's why. In 2018, we created something that was a first of its kind, a comprehensive online course to start and launch your e-commerce business from scratch, and we called it Start and Scale. Now, five years later, this course has helped 25,000 founders in 65 different countries kickstart their business ideas, including thousands who have achieved six and seven figure results. Founders like Lorianne Trin, who used Start and Scale to create a kids apparel brand that celebrates heritage. Or Samantha Brett, who used Start and Scale to build Naked Sundays into Australia's number one SPF skincare brand. Or April Scott, who used Start and Scale to gain the confidence to launch her luxury sleepwear brand. Although we've updated the program before, this year proved that right now is a defining moment for e-commerce, and it's because of AI. With AI, what used to be slow is now fast. What used to be complex is now simple, and what used to be expensive is now cheap. Every business is going to look so different in 10 years, and if it doesn't look different, it'll likely be out of business. So we went back into the studio because we knew to keep start and scale valuable for your business, we had to update it with the most relevant tools and strategies. So today, we're proud to introduce the brand new Start and Scale 3.0 course. And this course is for you if you don't have an idea yet. You're going to learn the fastest path to creating brand names, product ideas, logos, images, all through the power of AI. Or if you already have an online store, you'll learn how AI can help you automate repetitive tasks, analyze customer data, create all sorts of different content, and even handle customer service and so much more. So whether you're a Start and Scale veteran with a flourishing e-commerce business, or you're hoping to take the first step to 2024, this new course will help you completely transform your e-commerce journey with the power of AI. We're super proud of this incredible program. This is the third iteration. We've spent so much time, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you want to know more and want to sign up, which I highly recommend you do, if you want to start a store and you're confused or you're not sure where to start, go to founder.com forward slash build my store. That's founder, F-O-U-N-D-R.com forward slash build my store. I can't wait to see you inside. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder fam. Welcome back to another episode of The Founder Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Phoenix Ha. She's the CEO of a company called AdBeacon. They're a leading data company which allows advertisers to stop burning ad spend and start scaling faster in a post iOS 14 environment. And she's going to go behind the scenes of what's actually working across industries from the data that she's seen to support it when it comes to paid advertising. So today's a masterclass on everything ad creative, social advertising, and really how to succeed post iOS 14. Please welcome to the Founder Podcast, Phoenix Ha. 
So the first question that I ask everyone that comes on, sticking true to founder form is, uh, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Tell us about yourself, how you started Ad Beacon and everything else in between. Yeah, great question and also honor to be here. So thanks for having me and I hope whatever insights come help people. Um, actually, really funny story. I come from a modeling background. I was a model first um, since the age of seven and I got to learn all about marketing from the back end of, you know, just on the runway all the way to the back of manufacturing and supply chain. Fascinated by it. But as I grew up and learned about marketing, I had no interest in it. I literally had no idea that I would be in marketing today. But as a true metamorphosis or a butterfly, like that's just where I landed and it just seems to make sense. It clicked. So fast forward after working with really great brands during the creative, you know, agency boom, like Nike and uh, Disney and Modelo and all these really great collaborations, um, I actually landed uh, in-house with brand at Supra Footwear. So became interim marketing director there at 23, had no clue what I was doing, but learned and got gritty and uh, scrappy with it. I worked with K-Swiss a little bit um, and then kind of decided, you know what, Hail Mary, I'm going to leave everything and I'm going to go into small business because why make a great cushy salary when I could go into small business? And when I did that, I learned a lot, um, a lot of really incredible stories with how hard it is to make money with such a small budget. And through that, I think kind of trickled into where we are today. So I saw an ad for paid social, had no idea what paid social was. I thought people were paying us to be social and um, fell in love with it because it was finally something that I could do where I took the creative side in terms of experiential marketing and global marketing um, all the way down to metric-based marketing, right? And, and have quantitative data to uh, pair with qualitative. So in that very short amount of time, I became the director of paid media at a agency in California. And through that, just dug and dug and dug, started speaking at events on iOS 14.5, which was the biggest problem and it still is a big problem. And while I was learning about that, I learned about first-party data. And in the space, I was like, wow, this, there's a lot of cool solutions here, but none of it is built for my team. And this is not what I need. So again, another Hail Mary, we made one and we created a solution. So that is where I am today. I'm the CEO of AdBeacon, a first-party data and optimization platform here for media buyers and brand owners to scale and feel comfortable post-iOS. So that's that's where I'm at now. Awesome. And you're also an instructor of our Facebook Ads 2.0 course with Jordan Maynard and Nick Shack. We updated that course and it is incredible. Um, if anybody watching, anybody listening, make sure you check that out because it is amazing. Um, so let's talk about ads. You know, it's 2023. What's happening right now? Like where where, where is the landscape at from your perspective when it comes to, to winning in the ad game, especially probably Facebook ads? Like for e-commerce founders, that's that's a big driver, right? Facebook ads. Yeah. So for Facebook ads, I'm seeing deep discounting right now in like all the all the holidays that are leading up to the FCM and, and the things that we're seeing in general years past were very subtle. And now what I'm seeing is very deep discounting. So 40 to 70% off. It's it's basically saying to everybody, we are going to go hard this year. And, and last year wasn't as hard. Last year was like 25 to 30% off site wide, which to a lot of people was not that deep, right? They were expecting more. So what that tells me is that we absolutely need to build our lists. We absolutely need to drive qualified traffic 
earlier than ever and make sure that we hold those lists in for LTV um, throughout the year. Yep. Okay. So I'm curious, you said that the landscape's becoming more competitive than ever. How do people get ahead? Like how do people win from your perspective from when it comes to media buying? I allude to a couple of these things in our founder course, uh, which I have a deep heart there. Um, but there are a lot of tactics in order to do that. And the main, main ethos behind it, or I would say pillar is how do you get people to your website now when ad costs are at the very low um, in comparison to that of peak? We know that peak is going to be very expensive, right? That's the height of when people are buying media. So how do you drive people to your store as much as possible, as frequently as possible for as cheap as possible? And then the next is going to be how do we create a qualified group of people coming there? So that's key. And how you can do that is a variation of ways. I would say, you know, are you a type of storefront where you can do Instagram lives where you constantly bring people to your, let's just say your Instagram account, Facebook account, and you can retarget down the line? How do you build a community now? How do you bring people to the stores? I've done weekly deals in the past. I've done something called Holly deals in the past where you just drop new, uh, I would say drops of t-shirts and shoes to get people excited. But again, that number one pillar is excite the customer and then the last part right there to get ahead is keep them loyal and have brand equity and buy-in. So how are you going to do that? You can get very creative with. Yeah. And so do you think that people should like while while it hasn't got to Black Friday, Cyber Monday yet and traffic is cheaper, they should be building their list, like running lead ads or just training the pixel just like you know because you know post ios 14 um you know tracking isn't as as powerful as it used to be like talk us through that and let's i'd love to hear out more on at like tracking and ad beacon as well yeah absolutely so building lists is essential and that's why my heartbeat is towards and is first party data because that's data that you own right which is why we have ad beacon and and while you're building that traffic to your site we're storing that data and that's purchase data so i wouldn't necessarily say building just building just lists for email while that is very powerful very very powerful i want purchase data and i want purchase history and who those people are to be able to i would say efficiently target them for upsell opportunities down the road and also during Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And how you do that is so important. So like I said, we've done, you know, giveaways is a big one. Um, but then you can have it, you know, gamified where you say, if you buy these items, you get more points towards the giveaway. You incentivize people to come and of course make the deal good enough. And customization is key. Something that we did in the past that was very successful is we did a collaboration with a local artist and we had a denim jacket. And in that denim jacket, you know, if you bought things from the site, you had X amount of input or I would say um, uh, points towards that jacket, right? And you got a customized jacket from her, from this designer, if you won. And in so we built up that list. And again, they still bought and it could be a small item, whatever it may be. But again, you're building it to your point. Yep, got you. And then what about the tracking side, right? Like it's a whole new world now. You talk about first party data. What should what should e-com founders be thinking about when it comes to like their stack? Because there are a lot of tools, right? There are a lot of tools nowadays that, you know, make pretty big claims around helping you post iOS 14. Um, I'd love to hear your take and view of the world. Obviously, you know, your bias 
creating Ad Beacon. But yeah, talk us through that. Yeah, I mean, I built a platform made for media buyers specifically, right? Everything from UI to UX is for media buyers so they can navigate it. That's just one layer of it. Um, there's there's something to be very weary of with all these different platforms that you're speaking to. One is some claim to be first party data and some claim to be a full stack platform. It was It's kind of the minutia of the conversation and you have to be careful. First party is key, right? Because that's your data and we track from start to finish, first click to last click. We have a full customer journey, which is AKA proof behind your efforts, behind your ad dollars. Um, some, I would say platforms claim to be full stack, and you have to really deep dive and understand, are we just pulling you know, existing data from these platforms and putting it all under one place for just a roll up? Or do we have a separate set of data that we're tracking um, to, I would say, compare to let's just say Facebook to really understand the difference in which it's reporting versus what we're reporting, we're being Ad Beacon in this case, and then to really track it down to the customer journey. Why it's so essential for BFCM which is now apparently coined the Cyber Five, is it's because now I understand the efficiency of each channel, omni-channel. What if I understood that maybe Facebook was best top of funnel or first click, and I understand that Google is best last click? You would know how to tap into those channels more efficiently and effectively. You can also create lists that segment that as well, and then you know send it back to uh, Facebook and or Google via OCT offline conversion tracking. There's so many benefits you have to having your own data. And as data privacy increases and regulation increases, it's only going to get harder. So the sooner you start storing this data, the sooner you start being on a platform like AdBeacon, you're going to be in a much more stable position year round, especially during Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Yep. Okay. And then when it comes to, I guess, media buying in general, more than ever, it's about creative. Right. I'd love to hear, like, everyone wants to know, like, everyone wants to know, like, is there a formula? What is your formula? What makes a memorable ad? How can people get ahead? Because creative is so key these days. That's such a good question. And, you know, we talk about qualitative versus quantitative, and this is where things kind of get a little blended and fun. Um, I would say, number one, you have to think of it like this. You know, there's, I always relate media buying to dating, right? When you're meeting all these people, and I'm going to say men in my case, I meet all these men, there's a lot of noise. And until I meet the one person that makes everything quiet and silent and makes me focused, will that person get my attention? And it's the same thing with an ad. If that ad doesn't bring a little bit of quiet to the noise and get someone's attention, you're already losing. And you have to have a gut check with yourself, right? This is the qualitative, um, where you look at it and go, would I even buy from this ad? Is this something I would even care about? Because often we get into this, this machine of constantly creating ads because we know in our hearts we have to make more ads, but we don't like the ads. And if you don't like the ads, I guarantee you most people won't. So is there a formula? Sure, there's a framework of what we've seen really great ads become. But I think the best framework is the one that you create of what would make you put dollars behind the concept. Um, and not to go too, too far on a tangent, but you know, I had a really great uh, analysis this morning of competitors just in my free time. And I look at just CTA, just go to the headline and look at the headlines and go to your competitors and see those headlines and say, do you like their headlines better? And would they make you move? And what I mean by move is, there's some headlines that are very, I would say, inspirational, right? Better data for a better tomorrow. Or you can have one that says 20% increase guaranteed or your money back. 
right? Which one would you move on? And that's the gut check you need to have. And then as you test, there is the quantitative. So that's that would be my answer during this time is find the quiet. Yep, got you. And what have you found from your experience is working when it comes to creative, more native, more high production value? How long vi- should videos be? I'd love to hear. Yeah. So things are changing, right? And um, I have a hypothesis as of right now that static is coming back heavier than ever. And the reason why is because of the rise of TikTok. So it's a highly saturated video market right now. You know, pre-COVID, I would say, you know, you would go in and and you would see video ads and high production. And that was what was hitting for a very long time in Facebook. Then it phased into UGC, which is user-generated content. And I always say about 15 to 30 seconds max, nothing over 30 seconds, a minute max, max, right? And then there's always exceptions to the rule, but that's pretty heavy because short attention spans. But since TikTok has taken over, UGC is highly saturated as well. So The consumers are getting very smart. They understand when something is an ad pretty quickly. So if you're able to navigate it, I've seen a lot of success in creating native ads that you don't even realize are ads. And it takes you to a very uncomfortable place. So a great example is on my TikTok. I did, it wasn't even meant to be an ad, but it woke me up. I came out of the the pool. I walked over to my fridge. I put my my phone on record and I grabbed an alcoholic popsicle from my fridge that I got from Target. And I literally came up to the the screen. I was like, I got this popsicle. It says 6% alcohol. It's buttery smooth. Like if you ever say I spend too much money at Target, you're wrong. Closed it. Sold out at all the Targets in California. And we used a very similar framework for a company called the Coconut Cult. Not my client, just as a heads up. I really just genuinely loved the product. I tried it. I barely talked about the product, maybe a couple hints here and there. I think as media buyers, we constantly say we need a CTA. We need to set every value prop on the <laughs> under the sun. But that's actually not the framework now. So what I would say is two, three things. Make it natural. Talk to your best friend. Close it abruptly and see what happens. And again, that was an example that completely sold out online and in store, and they had to get two more facilities to fulfill. It's a powerful thing, but just a different framework. Yeah, interesting. And I guess when it comes to like the ad game, right, you you get fatigue over time. So when you said about like always creating more and you've got this mindset, you always have to create more. When you're working with a brand, like what – what amount of creative do you aim for? How many angles? How many hooks, variations? I know we're getting quite technical, but this is really helpful for people because it can be quite intimidating too. There's a couple different tactics I like to go after, but I'll give you the simplistic one and I'll give you a little bit more complex one. So there's two, two to weigh out. One is I always like to just go after six ads within an ad set, right? And you have copy version one, copy version two. Um, and you have one type of ad and you always have to have a control, right? So if one thing's going to change, the other cannot. And what I mean by that is if it's the same image, you can change the headline, but not the copy, right? You have to keep things consistent for that A-B testing. I like six at a time within an ad set if you're spending less than $200 a day in that ad set. That's my preference, right? Now let's, I would say I would, now that's six Ads per ad set, I usually use the same six if it's going to be evergreen. It's the same six if it's specific to a 
let's just say a product, again, another six. So let's just say there's three products, three, you know, you can do the math. That's what it would be. I never go over six really just because things get very complex, but the ad fatigue aspect. So I look at metrics just to see over a three and seven day period of time. I don't like it to write, like go over seven days. And if the metrics speak to a, a decay in data or a decay in performance, that's when you start to A-B test the new creative versus the old. Sometimes the new creative will kick in a resurgence of the old, and sometimes the new creative will kick out the old completely, and you have to respond to it uh, data-wise. The second side on the more complex is going to be every audience gets its own ad. So if you're saying that you're only going to speak to cowboys, maybe you need to, your ads need to be towards cowboys, right? And if it's broad, it's going to be more broad. And again, six, but that variation really depends on your methodology and your tactics towards that. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. When people are starting out or in the early days of, of media buying, running ads, when it comes to creative, on the phone, like still works, right? Like, you know, you don't need to have like a studio like we have or anything like that, right? No. No, I, I my best performing ads, I had an erectile dysfunction ad. I, I, hint, I think actually we popped it up in our founder course the the company was spending so much money like any if you're if you work in telehealth it's big spending right and we had the budget for high production ads and we had done them but they flopped and they were great ads nathan like i would look at them and laugh and think that they were the most fantastic ads but it was the one of me squeezing toothpaste out of a tube that just drove incredible conversions. And our like cost per acquisition was so low in comparison to this highly produced ad. So absolutely, you can do things with your iPhone or Android, whatever, whichever you choose and, and have fun with it, test it. Yeah. Any other advice you'd give to founders when it comes to creative and winning on the platform? Yeah, think outside the box lukewarm doesn't get you anywhere. Be be shocking, obviously, within your core values and obviously something that's palatable, but nobody moves the needle by not thinking outside the box. And it's the ads that make me smile that are the best that I know are going to convert in my gut as a media buyer. And sometimes they're from smaller companies that are just trying to claw their way up for some ad space, but they're doing it and they're cutting through the noise. So my very broad stroke at this question is, Think differently. A uh, great example, I'll say this right now, is Crypto.com did a Super Bowl ad. And in the US, Super Bowl ads cost so much money, upwards of however many millions. 
And are you familiar with this ad? No, no. I'm okay, not. good. We're gonna. I'm, I'm teaching Nathan now. Okay. So it's a. Uh, it's this QR code that was just bouncing from screen part, part the corners of the screen. That's all it was. It was genius. It was so easy, but it was outside the box and it cut through the noise of all the feel good ads and all the ads of these big companies like Budweiser. Crypto.com was the only one that was being tweeted about and talked about. Mm. So some perspective. What about hooks? Is that the most like that's the key thing, right? Or key. Absolutely key. You have five seconds to get someone's attention. And um, so for example, that coconut cult ad, you know, that video of the the coconut yogurt, I believe that the hook was what drove people to stay. And all it was was so apparently it can only have two scoops of this, and that's it. What what yogurt do you have that you're only allowed to have two scoops? Never. So people are like, what is this? So think of hooks definitely outside the box and kind of jarring. Don't go the route of, well, everyone's asking me about my skincare routine. That's a saturated hook. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's talk about AI, tools, hacks. What can you share with us that you're seeing is working, particularly in a, I guess, a creative paid media perspective like any anything you can share mid-journey using mid-journey to create ad create like yeah talk us through like what what's working what things what things you could share with the the founder community yeah i really like pencil.ai um you know i i won't lie to you i know the people there too but again i support good things like great products and great platforms pencil.ai is great and um, Midjourney is fantastic as well, but again, the human touch always wins. So even the AI uh, platforms, and I can't think of the name, the ones that have uh, like almost a human generated image where they're speaking to you, like I'm seeing those ads on TikTok. I know they're not getting engagement. It's not working. Mm. Um, so I think it's still a, a, a handshake between human and AI as of right now. You can't rely solely on AI. Yes. You know, you've got the chat GPT <laughs> community that's diehard, but I can still tell for the most part yeah. right now, I'll be honest with you, I don't really use as much chat GPT in, uh, I would say, ad copy. I did an A-B test and it just didn't hit, but my emails hit, so it works as my email generator now, mm. but that's about it in that term. But I do have a vision for what it could be down the road though. Yep. Okay. And any other hacks on how you're using AI to get ahead as a founder? Yeah. So other than it generating really difficult emails, I think, and I'll give you a little insight of, of what I see in the space. And I hope all my competitors hear this because if all of us do this, we're all going to create a better tomorrow anyway, is if we can create and you know, partner with a pencil.ai or the existing platforms and perfect them with first party data, we would be unstoppable. And what I mean by that is if we were able to take first-party data, right, the insights, all that we already have here in terms of what is performing and what is generating actual revenue, and even in AdBeacon, I'm able to see what people are actually buying, tangibly buying skew-wise um, from your Facebook ads. Could you imagine if we took the top performers and then Pencil.ar, whoever it may be, decided to create ads for you if you just had an ad bank or like a creative bank of core assets and they spit out A-B tests of top performing frameworks and headlines, et cetera, for testing. 
I think fully baked ads could be the future and how that even elevates could be incredible. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So that's something you're working on? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> and that's definitely something what I aim towards. I think finding the right partner is key too, right? Um, and, and also understanding, you, you know, everything behind platforms as SaaS, and I would even say in media buying, you have to prove it. And that's where my heartbeat is. So I want to be able to test it, have it in beta, prove that it is seeing incremental increases. And if that is the case, we launch it. But I do see that as a huge, huge win for the space yep. in the future. Okay, interesting. I guess the next question would be post iOS 14, obviously, you know, there's a lot that people say that, you know, pull back on spend. You know, we even did it founder, right? Like there were some challenges that we've had. I'm curious, like, do you think that with Facebook getting better and better and the platform getting better and better, that days will come back pre-iOS 14? No. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be completely, completely transparent. Yeah, please. I was very against first party and as you know third party like these types of platforms that now I'm the CEO of prior because I was like well who's to say that Facebook isn't right and as we stripped everything back and I was able to see the customer journey via click and and now that I have the insights I don't think I would ever go back fully just to Facebook data and there's a couple reasons why number 1 is because of data privacy and security they're not able, um, because of regulation, they're not able to track everything. No matter how many upgrades or uh, updates that are happening, it's actually going to get harder. It's not going to get easier, right? No one's going to say, you're good to track me now. You know, it's it's not going to, you can't go back. So I would say there have been some improvements, right? There was a data lag. There was missing data for some time, which was extremely scary, I think they've been able to fill the gaps with machine learning, but again, I, I can't prove it. There's no breakdown to prove which first party brings back. I think also, too, we were under this guise that Facebook was accurate or that that was the exact amount of revenue. So instead of accuracy, let's just talk about the exact amount of revenue that we drove. And we didn't really understand attribution. We didn't understand modeling. And really what I've figured out is there is a hyperinflation of numbers because every channel wants to get the credit. Google wants credit. Facebook wants credit. So you need something that's channel agnostic, something that is not going to favor one or the other because it's coming from that channel. And Facebook will always favor that. So if you have that sobering truth and you have something that's able to show you the difference but with proof, it just changes your perspective. So to answer your question, I don't think that I'm going to ever go back fully and and while we want it to improve, and I hope it would be a, a nice marriage between my platform and Facebook, I just don't see that on the horizon anytime soon. Yep. No, that's fair. And um, it's interesting you say that, like, since these these first uh, the these tools, these attribution tools have have started to come to the surface, like like Ad Beacon, you see that all of these platforms want to take credit for the purchase for for basically you know getting you that return i'm curious when it comes to i guess attribution models and how to effectively spend do you do you think that people should be not looking at roas from a, a platform only 
standpoint and look at something like MER? Like what's your take there? Ooh, we're getting spicy. I love it. <laughs> You're so calm, but this is like a very big topic of contention and I love that. I am very much an omni-channel type of gal. Like for me, I think that it's important for you to look at, yes, MER is great. I also use core, which is cost of revenue. It's a percentage, which you need to fall between depending on where you are. Um, blended ROAS is key too. You could do that. So you would take the blended amount of advertising spend and then you would look at that relation to your, your revenue. I think that's key too. But again, that's a little skewed. So MER, absolutely. Um, it's a great conversation that we're having because we've had this debate in terms in AdBeek in a dev call. And it's talking about do we create um, goal pacing based off of per channel metrics or do we do goal pacing from store metrics? So you go store metrics and then you trickle down to per channel if you wanted to. But in the end, at the end of the day, you need store growth. At the end of the day, you need to move 20% up each month. You know, so how you get there is going to be determined by your media buyers and, and you maybe. But the number one goal is the bank account, right? <laughs> so I would say blended, MER is great, MER, and I would also just say omnichannel is key. If you have the ability, if you have the the ability to see omnichannel, that's key. But if you're doing per channel, you kind of have to navigate a little bit differently. Got you. And when it comes to like a goal, obviously you want to spend the least amount of money possible f for, you know, your paid advertising spend versus your revenue. But with scaling brands that you work with, what what is a good range that, that you think people should be looking at? And, you know, obviously margins and costs are all variable depending on the on the product and the company. Yeah, I'll speak to media buyers and I'll also speak to, to business owners as well as, Margins is key, right? So um, I'm a big person. I'm pressing up against those margins for the ultimate reward. And what we mean by that, let's just speak to ROAS terms past in the day, right? So if we knew COGS included margins altogether that a three return on ad spend would put you in a place that you're still profitable, right? A four is very profitable and a three is still profitable. A two is just right up against the mark. But you usually don't tell your media buyer to. You always give them a little bit of leeway because you don't want to be too, too up against it. I always say, and, and you said something interesting, you're like, you always want to spend the least amount. I'm like, not necessarily. I want to spend right up against it because I made the mistake years back where I was sitting at a really pretty six return on ad spend, but the threshold and the margins and the cogs and all of those, uh, I would say, metrics led me to a, a cushy three. So I just had a three buffer and I lost that client opportunity to push. So I think once you identify it, really hit up against it, I would say, let's just say that was a three. Um, if you're even to like a, a 3.2, a 3.5, stay up against it as much as you can to where you're comfortable and push and spend. Um, and again, those metrics will will differ. Like there's some core that you want to stay between a 10 to 12%. Your cost of revenue should be a 10 to 12%, 13 to 15% during peak times. That would kind of be my gauge and my range. Yep. Okay. So 10, yeah, 10, 15%. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have incredible margins, right? Correct. Correct. Awesome. All right. Well, when it comes to, I guess, tracking, media buying, ad creative, what else would you like to share? I would say 
and I've already alluded to this, is kind of get crazy with it. I miss seeing fun ads. I miss seeing creative and disruptive media buying. And what I mean by that is, what are you doing differently? How are you bringing people to your store differently than anybody else? And I've brought up those tactics in the founder course, but I'm waiting for someone to take it to a whole other degree. And, you know, back in the day when we were scrappy and we had no budget, I'll, I'll use an example at Super and I, hopefully this invigorates some inspiration in everybody, but like we had no money. So we got a branded floaty. A float is just like a blow up floater that you put into the pool, right? And we it was a huge, super branded floaty. And I wanted and this never happened because legal almost killed me. But we had all these skateboarders, legendary skateboarders like Chad Muska, Lizard King, Eric Ellington, all these guys, right? And <laughs> you love those guys, yeah. Um, Spencer Hamilton, I'll just keep name dropping, Dane Vaughn. And um, we wanted to put them all in this float and float them down the LA River while they're drinking beers. All of it's completely illegal. Why did we want to do that? I wanted media coverage. I wanted people to talk about it. I wanted people to tweet about it. I wanted people to just go. It's an old school PR marketing like scheme, right? You would say, or a tactic. But what did it do? It disrupted the space. It did something that got you excited. And I think you should start thinking about that with your ads. I think you should start thinking about that with your giveaways even your user experience on your website? What are you doing to get people to buy into you and, and to feel like that's the brand I want to align with? That's really cool. They're doing things that are different. So I think that's my last nugget. I really want to just pass the baton and see what others do. Yeah, I love that. And I think I think you're so right. Like I think if we look at the brands that we am- admire, they are doing different kind of disruptive marketing ads that get your attention. But I always have to wonder, like I'm a creative person, just want to round this one out. I'm a creative person, but to find the capacity to even think of that stuff, I find actually intimidating, right? Like what what advice would you give to people to even come up with these crazy campaigns or ideas or even to find the space to be able to work that out? Is it going to the ad library and drawing inspiration? Is that or what is it? Yeah, sometimes when your your cup is dry, you got to find inspiration and that can come from the Facebook ad library. Absolutely. Sometimes it's even just going on TikTok for me, like things that are organic that could t- always be an ad. You have a media buying brain. You understand the funnel now. You have all of the skill that the everyday person doesn't even think about. And you can apply that to things that they're already resonating with. And that's why I love TikTok is like there's social proof already there in terms of I'm using social proof in the wrong term, but still there's there's metrics there that show you people care about it, right? And you can just rebuild it for media buying. That's like incredible. But then how do you take it to the next level? So sometimes you take base level, you're like, this is something that I really like. Save, 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 save. You spend maybe 30 to two hours, 30 minutes to two hours of your time a week and go, how can I make this even better? What do I like about this? What do I not like about this? How can I make this completely different? That's kind of my flow. And what I do is even if I'm walking down the street and I'm coming up with these ads, uh, you know, for Nick Shackleford, he just launched Breeze, which is that drink, right? And every once in a while, I think about how I can help them. And I'm sitting there and I'm jotting down ideas and they're just weird words, right? That I hope that one day I'll remember. Do that. And no idea is too crazy 
until <laughs> until you can't make it happen or if unless it doesn't fit within your core values, then it's too crazy. But try it. And if it doesn't work, don't spend too much money on it, but try it. And the good things will come, in my opinion. Yeah, I love it. This has been a real shake up for me. Thank you so much, Phoenix. This has been awesome. So the last question I have is where's the best place to find out more about yourself and your work? Dangerous again. Um, I'm everywhere. <laughs> you can find us on adbeacon.com. Like that is where my heart is. That's my little baby. I have a great partner um, who you know, is in the agency space and I'm more in the media buying space and adbeacon.com. Check it out. If you want to see my shenanigans, in D2C. You can go find me on Twitter. It's underscore Phoenix Haw. If you want to see my day-to-day -day life, which is again, I, I apologize in advance, just really funny off-the-cuff things. It's uh, Phoenix Haw on Instagram. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn and TikTok is where you'll see all my case studies. So everything that you see there is basically a case study of me trying new things and going viral. All right. So we're going to move to the hot seat round. Uh, rapid fire questions and answers. Okay. In your career, what's been the most challenging product to run ads for? Weight loss. What's the last ad that made you stop scrolling? An everyday dose ad. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah. So uh, it was really interesting. It was the everyday dose bag and it split in four quadrants and the four quadrants were moving and they were different, uh, I would say, value props of what that product did. I thought that was so cool. So interesting. It made me stop. What's a daily habit that makes you a better founder? I pray in the morning. So that's my quiet. I pray in the morning. I try to get a very even head and then I start my day. Last question. This one's always my favorite. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Um, I think I would hang out with Elon. I want to hang out with Elon. He's crazy, but I love a little crazy. And um, yeah, Elon. Yep. Every, everyone always says Elon. Ah, damn it. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, thank you so much, Phoenix. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, I appreciate it. I hope this was helpful and I hope this was good. So thank you. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.